Hi there, I'm Steve Joel, and welcome to a very special Champions of 40K. Every LVO champion, including the most recent one, in one episode. Thanks to the combined efforts of Val Heffelfinger and Tech Priest Dickey at Frontline Gaming, we track them all down. Each chat is a bite-sized chunk that was originally presented between games at the LVO, and in this episode, you get the full set. Just a couple of things to know. All but one of these were recorded before the LVO 2023. Only Jack Harpster has been recorded since. So in a lot of cases, I've left in predictions about how the LVO would go and what would happen because it's just, you know, interesting to see them with hindsight. Also, the interviews happened over a two-week period at different times of the day in different parts of the world. So there's, you know, a variety of microphone qualities and there might be repetition of some of the questions here and there, all of that sort of thing. This is a whole lot of different chunks all stitched together into one thing. But I promise there is something there for everyone, any army, any level. So let's do this in chronological order, starting with the man they nickname the Saint, Alex Fennell. First time champion, right? First time champion of the LVO, the, the, the OG, the original gangster from the UK, but now on the east coast of the United States of America. Uh, Mr. Alex Fennell, thanks for joining us. How are you? Hey, I'm I'm very well, thank you. That's uh, yeah, it's been it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you for taking the time. Really appreciate it. Listen, we're gonna. There's a lot to discuss in your 40k career in a short amount of time. So let's hit on the reason you're here. You're a champion of LVO. 2014 was a very different LVO to the one we know now, though. Can you can you tell us a bit about the event itself? It was a little smaller, although at the time a very big deal. Yeah, it was, um, I think, 200-plus people, I think it was. Um, so a little bit a little bit of the unknown for everybody. Like, we're all, no one really knew what to expect. And the it, it wasn't my first event with lots of games, but nine, nine rounds all in. And, you know, with, you know, e even though 200 was a lot, it, it's, it was small enough that you would you'd see your friends, you'd, you'd hang out with your buddies and people would start swapping anything to swap tips and tactics for how to deal with the appalling Forge World list where the guy put his entire army on a Sky Shield landing pad, right? And then um, the, you know, fighting our way into the, getting into the final eight or the, yeah, the, the last day and then figuring out who's playing who. And it was, uh, yeah, it was, Honestly, it was a lot like a regular, just a regular GT, just with a lot more people than normal. And for, I think for a lot of us, a lot of familiar faces. So I, I saw guys I, I knew from overseas. Um, it's a, a, like the top, I think the first six games I played, I played two guys I'd played on a regular basis. Like one, one of them had been on the US team with me once. Um, but then when you get to the final eight, it's like you're bouncing from one GT winner to the next. And it was, uh, honestly, it was kind of surreal. Just you know, move, moving from one game to another, somehow winning, and then realizing you've got to stick around because you've got one more game to play. Right. 
Actually, you mentioned disgusting lists. I don't think that anybody liked the look of your list very much either. No. Uh, just, just refresh our <laughs> memories what you took, a whole lot of different types of pointy people. Yeah, it was, uh, so I took the, I, I took the Eldar Seer Council build on bikes, uh, backed up with five, I think, wave serpents with, um, let me think, Dire Avengers inside, right? So, and this was back when wave serpents were broken as all anything, your, 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 your scatter laser gave you rerolls to hit, the serpent shield could fire every turn, and then to add insult to injury, you had a clown posse of like 14 guys, give or take on jet bikes with, uh, with the obligatory Baron now, and now defunct consigned to history, dark, dark Eldar guy who gave your entire unit hit and run. And, you know, the, with the seer council, you're, you're, you're running a two up invulnerable save re-rolling and yeah, it was disgusting. I mean, L LVO had, uh, had changed the rules just a little bit, so became two up followed by a four up. But honestly, um, it was one of many disgusting lists. And the the mindset I think that we all took to that event was, we, you know, you it's the first time Vegas front lines running this Vegas event. Bring your A game, and no complaining. Like you, you write if. You know, you run into a list that you can't deal with, well, you shake the guy's hand and you had fun, right? You've gone down in LVO history for a couple of different reasons, um, but I want to stick with this one for now. Being the very first winner of a tournament that's gone on to become this iconic thing around the world, it's a bucket list event for people to go to. It's the premier event in, in the world, I think it's fair to say. You couldn't have known what it was going to become back then, but now looking back, do you feel a sense of pride that you are on the list of winners of this thing that has become so monstrous? Oh, yeah, I was incredibly proud to win it before I knew what it was going to turn into. Um, you know, it's having, uh, seeing that, honestly, and even now I go I go every year, seeing seeing the trophy that they've got standing with, with my name on a plaque on the base of that trophy. Um, it's yeah, it's fun. It's it's awesome. Um, you know, and I know a lot of us, a lot of us who play, a lot of us have won these things. Winning, you know, we don't do it to win anymore. We play, we turn up, we see our friends. Um, but it, you know, and winning is sort of secondary to the whole experience. But yeah, the fact I could check off the box that says I've won the LVO, like what what else is there to achieve? Right? That was that was awesome. Okay, let, let's go to the big thing that we that we have to touch on because you're probably the only person I can think of that's better known for a game you lost than for any of the any of the big games you won. But it led to such greatness. I mean, the the way you handled it, the way it all happened, people can look it up if they want to. But let's let's very quickly touch on the game and then what it led to because that's what was so good. Yeah. So as you know. I, Quick, quick summary of events, right? So I'm I'm playing in the semi-final. Um, I think the only reason I'm on stream is I was I was the one list out of out of four which wasn't a mirror Eldar list. I had some a whole bunch of random series. I mean, random guys I picked out of my box to turn up to this tournament. And you know, I'm playing I'm I'm playing Tony. He's 
he and I were on Team America, um, and yeah, the uh, I made a I made an error, and uh, there's all kinds of all kinds of justifications. I was running out of time. I was trying to get things done quickly, but at the end of the day, I made a I made a positional mistake, and whereas I think in a lot of games your opponent would let you take that back or let you address the fact. Um, Tony didn't, which I told him at the time. That's, And I've told everybody since. He's, he's entirely within his rights to do that. Um, and, you know, so obviously the minute that happens, I'm probably disappointed. There's probably about 20 seconds of dead air on the mic as I'm trying not to swear out loud. Um, and then... Uh, I said, great, let's just play. Um, people, you know, I'm, I'm not going to give you the win. If you want to win, you're probably going to, but if you want to win, you're going to have to pry it out of my corpse. And we, we played, and I got my teeth kicked in, and that was, that was the end, right? And I didn't think anything of it. It was just one of these games. And as, as I'm packing models up, my phone, my phone is blowing up with text messages, um, guys are coming. Um, I left the left the, air, the the tent they had set up for the game, and you know, people, a couple of my friends came running up. They showed me a screen grab from from Mark Merrill um, Trindamir, right, who sent a tweet to LVO, and and at this point, my wife, who isn't a gamer in the slightest, she's sending me text messages trying to trying to understand. She tried to follow the game, honey, but why is everybody upset? Um, and you know, it just it, it then took a life of its own. And frankly, the fallout was was an even better feeling than winning LVO. It was, you know, Mark Mark was generous enough to to donate five thousand dollars to me as a sportsmanship award. Um, I felt that was much better used giving it to people who needed the money. Um, so we picked the Children's Hospitals charity in my hometown. Uh, a couple of other companies heard what I was doing and immediately matched that donation. And so, you know, it's a, you know, it's a, it, it, ultimately it's a, it's a great story of something less than, less than good happens on a, in a game of 40 K. And the net result was a bunch of sick kids in my local town picked up a donation for $15,000. That was, yeah, I think equally amazing is I've come into the hobby since that happened. Like that was way before my time in 40K. And yet it's one of those things that you hear about. It's a story you hear about. It's a thing that lives on. Isn't that remarkable that that and more because of what happened post the generosity from Mark and from yourself and from others and the amount of money raised in the charity. All of that has gone into 40K legend now. Isn't that incredible? It, it really is. And, and it's, yeah, it, I hope at least it's, you know, it, it's something that people can feel good about our hobby for, right? It's, there, there are too many events that I've been to, and, and I'm sure we've seen online where, you know, somebody gets upset, they, they throw their, they throw their toys out of the pram and they walk away and the, 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 the live stream goes dead because somebody's quit. And 
that's really not this is a game of toy soldiers it's a, it's a game that we play to socialize roll dice have fun and if you know if you know you're going to lose okay then just lose with grace right and don't lose your cool play the game if you get if you if you miss mess something up there's no point arguing you were in the wrong you just keep going and yeah, th this is one of those occasions where the stars aligned and you know I, I i didn't do anything that i wouldn't normally do when i play a game and it just so happened that the right people were watching and the right you know the, the right things aligned with themselves and here we are talking about a game i lost and it's gonna as long as the internet's alive i think and we put people play 40k people are gonna talk about you you know Remember what happened when that dude lost the semi-final yeah. of LVO? People talking about it on the far side of the world, which is extraordinary. Right. And we are going to talk about that game again soon. In fact, Alex Fennell comes up as important at least a couple more times. Let's move on to 2015, and a legend was born. Sean Naden won it that year. In my conversation with Sean, we jumped straight into the final. That win at the LVO, that game against Nick Rose, good friend of yours. How much fun was that? Uh, that was a lot of fun. The Lichter Shameless took everybody by storm, came out of left field a little bit. Uh, Nick and I had actually played earlier in the event, and I had lost to him. So it was good to come full circle and uh, beat him. It was a lot of fun. I actually I wasn't on the stream table round one of the finals, but round two, I was on the stream table and I walked up to the stream table and I was like, I think I just won LVO. This terrain is great for my list. <laughs> like it was, right. it was vastly different than basically the rest of the room that year. Uh, way more dense, way more saturated. So that that was what I felt. Uh, I had to play the Eldar um, and Tyler in that round. But I, I felt like the terrain worked out for me and then came full circle in the final versus Nick in a close one. You guys had previously discussed, you know, the possibility of both of you getting that far and, and how much fun it would be to face off against each other. Does friendship go to one side, though, when you're playing the final of the LVO, or, or are you still able to kind of see your friend on the other side of the table and have some fun? For me, it never really goes aside. Um, at the table, I think if you're friends with somebody at the table, it, it amplifies it in some ways. You can talk more trash. You can, you know, be more relaxed knowing that um, you're both going to intend the right things with each other throughout the whole game so you know they know you and how you're going to behave you know them as long as you don't change yourself because it's a top table i don't think you your, your friendships will change it either where are you at these days with goals when you go to an lvo i mean you've performed so consistently well you've had to win you've had a third you've had a fourth i don't know what else you've, you've been there or thereabouts so many times and when you're going into this year's LVO, are you looking at that again or are you just, you're going for fun? Where do you set yourself now? I took most of this year off. Uh, we had the birth of my uh, daughter, my second child, uh, right before LVO last year. Um, my wife was gracious to let me finish out the season. Her birthday is actually tomorrow. I don't know when this podcast will land, but that is when it is. It's, <laughs> it's her birthday. So it's just this time of year. And uh, that's where... I was last year, this year, I took most of the season off. I didn't play until October in a singles event, really. And I didn't make it to enough big ones for LVO to matter that much in terms of season awards. So I'm just going to go and do the best I can. I, I 
spent a lot of that time off painting an orc army that I was excited about that I had bought during COVID, but not really gotten around to painting as a, you know, mental flush in terms of, I feel my painting skills had risen past where my Eldar were set. And you know, when you have an army, you keep just painting to match that army. It's hard to expand painting wise. So I expanded skill wise into the orcs. So I'm going to bring the orcs. I've been trying to, you know, make them still a competitive army and fit different things, but I don't, really focus on too much else than that than looking my best and playing my best. Uh, I think things line up decently well for the Orcs at LVO. There's some bad matchups for that army. It's just inevitable. And I've always understood that about 40k is that sometimes to win an event, you have to dodge those bad matchups. But the way the missions at least structure out, day two and day three are the best missions for Orcs. Um, Certainly how I play the goth pressure style list. So that at least is in my favor. Um, If I make it to those days when you were historically going to have the harder matchups at least the missions are now slated towards me so i'm fascinated in how you choose an army i've kind of loosely followed your playing career over the last couple of years and you seem from the outside to be a guy who will pick an army and then stick with it no matter what you played eldar when they apparently sucked and you still did really well with them now you're playing orcs out of kind of nowhere and having success with them too. I love how you've undersold yourself. You've won events with these orcs over the last little while. And now you're coming into LVO with that. So when you choose an army, do you choose based on what the meta is and going against that? Do you choose based on the painting and just models you like? How do you pick a, an army for yourself? Uh, it's a lot of both. Uh, ostensibly, they, they also have pointy ears. If I've only played pointy ears in singles events for about seven or eight years. <laughs> Um, The orcs have pointy ears too, um, which is funny. But uh, I played mostly just the elves and focused on those for six, seven years. This year was the first year I played anything other than elves, I think, certainly competitively. And it's to me, the the orcs change was a modeling choice. Again, I wanted to paint something different. They have a beautiful model range that's in mostly plastic. So that all factors in. And that's where I started with my org journey. I picked the models I thought were cool looking and saw what would happen on the tabletop with those. And some of them have to come out. You try other things as you go, uh, as you add to a list. It's really hard when you start a new army. I think when you start a new army, you have to have kind of a love for it, whether it's lore, whether it's model-based, because otherwise, why would you stick to it? Um, so I love the Eldar range, the Dark Eldar range, the Harlequins, and I love their lore. That's you know one of my first loves, one of my longest loves. And so I stick to that and paint and work and practice those, whether they're up or down, I'm going to play them at various times. Um, and similarly with the orcs, I think they just, they're cool. They function really cool. I don't like the way they functioned when they were really good, like last year. And I wasn't playing them then, obviously, but the shooting bit, like, I want to punch people if I'm going to work. I want to use s- silly characters. I want to get in, mix it up, be in close combat. That's what I like about 40k anyway, even with my Eldar and Dark Eldar and Harlequin builds. I, I'm always focused on the close combat less guns better right and orcs i don't know they can't shoot bs5 it's terrible <laughs> <laughs> yeah as a spaceball player i get it i get it um you mentioned the terrain i'm interested in how you think the terrain is going to go for visiting players particularly people coming from uh australia the uk europe uh who have a, a different terrain set or are used to the way terrain is set out differently how do you think they're going to go coming into the lvo I think they'll do fine. Good players are good players, regardless of the train setup. 
I know some people make big deals about terrain, and it is a huge factor in how games go and what lists do well. I kind of ignore it a lot because, again, I spend so much of my time painting a list that I don't really, I can't really have a different list for different terrain setups. I just don't have that kind of time. Um, so the same list that I play for GW terrain, I play for frontline gaming terrain, I play for WTC tiles terrain. Like that's, that's just, that's just my MO. They, they all do function differently. Um, I don't know if there's a clear fast, which one's best. I've enjoyed the GW ones. Um, I go to, I go to a lot of frontline gaming events when I've had the time this year, a little less. I went to a couple. Um, I love Reese, Frankie, and their whole team. So I, I, I have no problem with how they run their events. When they when they switched to the player place, it was improvement over when the, the edition changed. And as they grow and can add terrain, and I think some of the changes they've made to the first level floor blocking and some of them, the fixed middle in a bunch of them, I think that all that's positive. I think as long as we're growing and changing and adapting to the issues that the community have, terrain sets will always change. Even GW is um, changing up how their terrain is placed in, in some of their missions too. So all, all, all things with terrain just need, if the players know that the TOs are working on it and it'll adapt as there are issues, then I have no problem no matter what the different setups are. Who do you expect to see in the final four or at the top table? Who are the names you expect to be there? Names, I'm not so good. I don't even know any of the names that are good this year. Like, I didn't play that much. There's all kinds of new <laughs> names up there. Like, you know, uh, I think you think you're gonna see Tau. I think Tau is still a problem that the the data doesn't interpret how good Tau are uh, into a lot of people, and so I think there'll be a lot of good Tau players there. I think there'll be chaos stuff, whether it's demons or chaos space marines, because they're insanely popular. So like, I think the volume of them, and they're strong, they're like, let's let's be real, the flamers, whether they're added or whether they're in regular demon stuff, it's one of the few things that actually gives Tau problems and deals with them. So I think we're gonna see some Thousand Suns mixed up with flamers, some straight demons, some straight chaos-based marines, and some Tau. I think those will be the big the big bangers. Um, probably an Eldar list and an Orc list, and that'll, that'll round out your top eight. Uh, and, and Orc list, <laughs> I like that, <laughs> nice. <laughs> a specific orc list. A specific uh, love, orc list. Yeah. What I love about LVO is you always get that kind of long shot dark horse making his or her way through to the, you know, the top 16 or the top eight. There's some random black Templar list or whatever that kind of ends up there by virtue of a good run or good terrain or whatever it might be, or just great play. So I love that at the LVO with all of these players there and that amazing environment. Can you tell me about that before we go? I know we've got to go, but... Tell me about the environment of the LVO and how much you enjoy going because you're there all the time. You're there every time. Yeah, I missed the first one. The first one was the only one I didn't go to. And then I made the top eight in every one of them. But last year, uh, I didn't have a loss, but I didn't have enough points, I guess. So um, it's an amazing experience. It's the wildest amount of 40K people that can be in a room basically ever in, in singles. I mean, I, I've heard that there's some gigantic team events in Spain or various places that are that have Trump numbers. But like, you know, it's it's insane when you walk into a room and it's all these people that play the same game as you that have fun doing the same things as you and and you get to play them. But and it but it's a weird tournament in that regard too, because we're we're used when you go into a smaller, like hardcore meta, you sometimes will have a harder tournament. Um I don't know that the LVO is technically a harder tournament because of the number of people. Um you may not play any, but because of the random pairings and how many people, you may not play a top player until round six. You may not never play a top player. Um, 
or whatnot. You may never play a top 50 player. It's it's just very strange with the amount of volume of people. And like you said, some some people go on runs or from nowhere or armies go on runs from nowhere and get carried or whatnot. So it, it's a very interesting experience. Or you could have a terrible time and play all top players randomly in, <laughs> in your run. Um, it's, it's just, it's so out there. You can't even plan for it. So you just, to me, you plan to do the best you can do and have as much fun as you can because you know it's it's at the end of the day it's warhammer and we, we, we just want to have fun roll dice and chop people's heads off like with orc. <laughs> actually i think my, my list is like points divided by power fists or power claws or whatever we can call them <laughs> I, love, I feel like that should be the tagline for all of warhammer we just want to have fun roll dice and chop people's heads off That's Sean Naden. Then in 2016, a usurper from across the pond came and took the title. Alex Harrison. Technically the only non-US based player to win the LVO to date, still the only foreigner to take the trophy home. That's that's pretty cool for a starting point. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Um, wasn't <laughs> actually aware of that until right now. <laughs> well, I'm glad I've been able to help you out. So uh, I want to st- let's start with the let's start with that. You winning the the title. You were playing Sean Naden in the final, so he's a he's a pretty big name. Was a pretty big name then. I mean, he's a champion of the LVO himself. So when you're approaching a game like that, when you're going up against a Sean Naden in the final of the LVO, how were you feeling going into that game? Can you remember? Um, I was, um, I, I know I was very tired. It was the first major event I've ever been to that long, that big, um, it obviously over the pond for us at the time, those type of events were massive, you know, in comparison to what we had in the UK. Um, that's a bit different now. We have plenty of large events, but back in 2017, that was huge. So I was very tired, um, and nervous of course, because you know, at the time, and, and it still is probably the, if uh, one of the, if not the biggest event in the world. Um, yeah, it was, I was quite nervous and, um, uh, going up against Sean, he's a great guy, a great player. Um, it was going to be a, I knew it was going to be a tough game. Yeah. Tell me about the, the, the army you took. I mean, this is, we're talking about seventh edition, right? We were talking about seventh yeah. edition and, and I feel like the previous couple of years there's just been death stars all over the place, all these mad lists. People take mad lists to the LVO and then end up doing great with them. So what did you have? What did you take? Um, so I'm going from memory here, um, but I, I, I recall it was the Warp Spider list. And, um, yeah, it was uh, something like 45 Warp Spiders, uh, all MSU squads of five. Um, right. And there was a Wraith Knight because they were awesome back then. Um, Actually, it was a Scathatch Wraith Knight, so it was something a bit different, which I know took people by surprise. It was a Forge World one. Um, and what else? Uh, obviously, some characters. I think I had, like, MSU jet bike units, like three squads of three or something like that. Um, right. And then there was, like, two single D cannons. Um, and I believe that was it. Again, I'm going from memory here, but yeah, it was quite an MSU shooty army that um, had a very interesting mechanic. So the way warp spiders worked back then is whenever they got um, targeted, they can make a move. Um, and I believe uh, the ITC ruled that you can only move them once. So a lot of people before the event were sort of put off them because they became quite a big deal after the WTC, which was a few months before the LVO at the time. 
I think I believe the Swedish team took uh, something like sixty warp spiders and caught everyone by surprise. And everyone was like, "Jesus, these are crazy good." Um, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that that became a thing in the UK, um, and I don't believe it became a thing in the US until after the LVO. I know uh, some people were using it, but it wasn't really a big hit over there because they didn't follow the WTC at the time. Um, so yeah, uh, I think that was the list and, and obviously just with the one jump, uh, the jump move that they could use when being targeted was more than enough to reposition the units into such a good like position, um, with the terrain that the LVO was using these box terrains where you can jump from one wall to the other and then you're just hidden and it was very frustrating to play for some people. So yeah. You've kind of touched on already. It's a really different world now because, uh, you know, everything's out there on the internet. Uh, we're seeing battle reports and streams all the time of games that happen around the world. So there's a lot less of that massive difference between the UK meta and the US meta. Um, it, there's a lot more alignment now. And you guys uh, in the UK have just a massive tournament almost every month. You've got super majors all year round. So do you think that will impact the players this year coming to the LVO? There's a pretty big contingent of people from Europe and the UK. Will that help all the big games that you get to play now? Oh, yeah, massively. It's it's definitely changed the whole um, tournament scene across the world. Probably since COVID, um, when the world was locked down, a lot of people started playing on TTS, um, Tabletop Simulator. So all the different regions and countries sort of came together and... and started sharing list ideas on Discord and things like that. And it was great for the community. Uh, it just built from that. Um, and as you say, with the large tournaments that we have, but I would actually say that pretty much everywhere has a large tournament now. Yes, obviously the UK has pretty much one every month, which is brilliant and it helps our scene. But um, due to the community um, and all the blogs, websites, YouTube channels that cover all these events as well now, um, I, I think that every country has their own sort of meta covered. Um, there's not too much difference like it used to. Um, so, yeah, I don't think anything's going to really catch people off guard. Yeah. I, I want to think that this this year's, I mean, LVOs are always like this, but this year's LVO, maybe even more than most, is kind of wide open because there are so many armies kind of at the top. There's not like one or yeah. two just busted armies. There are a bunch of armies that could do well and a bunch of players that are performing really well at the moment. So, you know, we'll just yeah. have to wait and see, man. It's going to be really interesting and I'll be uh, I'll be following it from here, uh, rooting for obviously my guys, but there's there's some American players that are good friends of mine as well that I'll be rooting for and I'm sure they'll all do great and have a good time. Awesome. Hey, great to talk to you, mate. Thank you so much for making the time to catch up. Really appreciate it. And all the best for the little, uh, little, little break you're going to have. Yeah, thank you very much. Thanks for having me on. And then from England to Hawaii we go. And again, we're going to learn about the importance of teching into the thing that everyone else is taking with the champion, Brett Perkins. Let's go back to, was it 2017 you won LVO with Demons and Renegades? And we were just, before we started recording, talking about the reason you came up with that list which is a really valid reason given the environment you were playing in so explain explain the thinking behind renegades and and demons going into 2017 lvo so the number one rule with renegades is that you could fire at units into combat you can even target your own units and um, as we know the whole edition was death stars i have i had an actual hatred let's hate, hate's a strong word but i hated death stars because i didn't like the whole mechanic with that being said, I did have what I'd like to call a survival star in the uh, 
the screamers. The screamers weren't meant really to kill. They were just meant to stay there and stay alive and keep you from falling back. Might have been why we right. fall back so easily now. Might- <laughs> Are there any super memorable games or moments from that run at LVO? So, yes, uh, that that first game ended up being a Table War Hawaii player. And now I'm in Table War Hawaii, so they always give they always give them crap for meeting me round one and getting beat by me and quitting out. But then uh, I did have a couple of memorable ones. The I did face Andrew Gagne. That's the only time we matched up, and we actually fought to a draw. So I did not win every game. Uh, we fought to a draw on that round, and then I did face Matt, who win eventually won the uh, ITC that year. Unfortunately, I didn't see him until the semis. I was confident my list could take on his orcish uh, admac, um, but I didn't see him until the semi, so it wasn't quick enough to jump ahead of him in points. On the subject of Matt, uh, I feel like you tabled him in that semi. Like that was a pretty convincing win against the guy who was like number one or went on to be number one and win the ITC. That had to feel pretty good. Oh yes, yeah. so, as I said, I was I was pretty confident. I just needed to find him, and I unfortunately just the powers that be the algorithm i just didn't link up to him until the semi so he was able to maintain first place yeah talk me through that game with brandon uh we've spoken to him as well obviously as part of the series um and and that loss really served him well in 2019 when he came back and won it but talk us through that game that final game with brandon and how that played out for you so if i remember correctly i believe brandon had the first he had the first setup so it I had a, a long shot charge to lock up his star. Um, I did a little bit of counter deployment and I had a long, long charge for the screamers to lock up his star. And I managed to make like a 10 inch charge, unfortunately for him. And then as, as you know, the mechanic with the grimoire, I can reroll with fate. Weaver. I had fate weaver on my list then with the reroll. And I managed to make that roll. And we even like, once I locked up the star, it stayed locked for the game. It was a pretty much a foregone. Right. It was a, probably the quickest decided game. Because once I locked it in, um, unless I filled the grimoire, he wasn't coming out of that combat. When you look at the list of people who've won the LVO, there are some, uh, in the world of 40K, some real big names in the, you know, some celebrities. Uh, it's kind of nice to have your name on the trophy along with those people, right? Oh, yes. They, uh, I managed to go out to Nova, and I was second to one twice at Nova. And so, <laughs> right. including once that year. And so getting my first big win of the season at the right time. I had a lot of second places, third places that year, and then finally jump into the first place. Post LVO, when you're a winner, uh, does that put extra pressure on you to do well at tournaments? Yes, I feel feel as if people always come in hard. Sometimes if you're running into uh, players in the midfield and they recognize who you are, they tend to play... Unfortunately, so a little more aggro because they're 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 amping up to face this match, and if you're just trying to be lay back, have fun, and you know roll some dice, it can uh, kind of throw you off sometimes. Right, people get all aggressive and they they want to take down the big gun, right? They they know the sharpshooters come to town and they want to take them down. It's funny. So, and once you've won an LVO, also you kind of uh, you get invited to do things like podcasts and go on stuff and and you know help people out. And was there a little bit of that post LVO twenty seventeen? Uh, yes, I actually run the competitive forty k Facebook group right now. I am the lead admin for that group. And we're All right, almost fifteen thousand strong now. 
Yeah, fantastic. Well, it was a nice little plug for the group as well. Get people involved in the group. It's a great. It's a, uh, I didn't realize I'm part of that group. It's a great chat. Yeah. If you're a guy, <clears throat> excuse me, going into something like an LVO or any tournament really, and you rock up to the table and on the other side of the table is a, a Nanavati or a Naden or a Lennon or a Hartster or a whoever it might be, how does that affect you mentally when you go in? Are you, are you the kind of person that can just go, doesn't matter who it is, I'm playing my game? Or, or is that kind of a bit of a hurdle for you to mentally overcome? Um, I actually, it's, it's less of a hurdle to me. To me, I know this player knows how to play the game and we can have a very clear intent-driven game. We don't need to like, right. hey, does this guy understand this rule or do I need to explain this thoroughly? No, we both we both know how to do things and we're both going to be very professional with how we conduct the game. Uh, sometimes when you're, you're playing in the mid tables, you get people from different, very different backgrounds, very different ways they approach the game. And then you inadvertently will upset somebody by something that you consider is normal. Then we go to 2018 and we meet Nick Nanavati. These days, a household name, of course, in the game of 40K, but not then, not when he won it. Now, remember that Nick's final was against the guy that beat Alex Fennell in the semi-final that year, the famous game that we've already spoken about. But that's not where we start. Tell me how much the LVO has changed since you were champion. Hey, Steve. Uh, quite a bit. Um... I think the player base and the community has really grown a lot since then. Uh, tournament's definitely a lot harder to win nowadays than it was back then, not to say it was easy. Um, but there's just so many more talented Warhammer players up and coming all through the entire series. So you see a lot more names. The, it's not just the same 10 or 20. It's the same 100, 200 going and really competing at this thing. So it's awesome. And it's larger than ever before, I think. 1,000 people, which is amazing to see. 2018 doesn't like in the real world that's not that long ago but in warhammer years it's a long time there's just in terms of the armies and the rule sets and all of that sort of thing it has changed and as you mentioned the community for me anyway seems to have changed a lot there's a lot more positivity there's a lot more uh and this is largely thanks to you and richard and the out of all guys and, oh, well, and thank a, you and no it's true and a few other people at the top who really encourage playing by intent and keeping in touch with each other during the game and talking through what you're doing and what you're wanting. There, there seems to be a lot more of that now than there was even just a few years ago. Yeah, I definitely think so. I think it makes for a much smoother game experience. I know back in the day it used to be kind of gotcha hammer where it's like I came up with a really cool combo in my basement at 3 o'clock in the morning one day and I won't tell anybody about it and then I'll show up to the tournament and then it might be legal, it might not. Who knows? Let's try it out. And then gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. And it, that's just like a terrible way to enjoy or play the game in my opinion. Uh, you'd rather like in have a good experience with the person you're going to spend three hours with, get to know them, maybe make a friend and uh, have a great game of Warhammer. And that's great for the first few rounds. But when you get up into the top tables and you sort of, then you know you're, you're really vying for uh, the LVO title. You make top 16, top eight, and now you're in a spot where you might win. How much does the mood and the attitude change uh, once you get into a spot where you can see the finish line? That's a really great question. Um, last year, I really had the opportunity to spectate LVO rather than play LVO. I was wandering around the tournament, uh, representing Games Workshop, doing stuff for that. And I didn't actually play. And I could see in the early rounds, it felt like every other tournament just larger in scale, where everyone's having a great time, everyone's having fun, just being jovial. And then on day two, and especially as we approached that dreaded strata round, then in the top eight, the games got a lot more quiet. You could tell everyone was really deep in their heads thinking, and not to say they weren't interacting with their opponent, having a good time. It's just this is what they came here to do, and that they were very focused on it. 
but the the sportsmanship was still there the the back and forth like friendliness was still there it was just like a competitive friendliness which i love yeah w- tell me about you winning the the tournament that you played what do you remember most about that event is it the final game is it is it the finally getting that win or are there other things that you recall I think, I mean, there's a lot I recall. It, it was years ago, but that was a really memorable event for me in general. And especially the, the fashion in which the finals took place was a, was very spectacle. Um, I would say the the thing I remember most and the thing that really sticks out to me is that that kind of the end when Reese was doing the, the speech at the end, wrapping up the season, wrapping up LVO, and I was standing there kind of ready to receive or receiving my first place prize as the ITC winner and all that. For someone like myself or someone who's worked really hard for years to, you know, aspire and be better at 40K and then make a shot at the season, trying to really go for first and just do the best you can. And then to actually achieve that, it's, it was very euphoric is how I described it. It was really something else. Right. There's a, there is a photo. I can't remember where I saw it. Maybe it's on the ITC website of Reese handing over a check or a prize or something to you. And it is just like all smiles. Everyone's happy. It must've been, uh, yeah, as you say, a euphoric moment. Were there moments in the game, though, in that final game where you're like, I've definitely got this, or, oh, crap, I might lose it, or, you know, tell us about that game. Yeah, that game was was back and forth nail-biter. So, ironically enough, I was playing uh, Yunari back in the day, and at that time, that was like one of the strongest armies in the game, and I was playing against Yunari, almost a carbon copy of my own list uh, in the finals. Uh, I was playing against Tony Grappando. He and I... Uh, our good buddies, we played uh, some practice weekends, like weeks before the event came up with an army together. And uh, he and I went to the final, went to LVO, found our way to the finals and duked it out. In that game, um, it, that, that matchup was really, really tense because uh, one, it's the finals, a lot of pressure, a lot of, a lot of eyeballs watching you. You don't want to mess it up. But the, there's a lot of critical moments in that matchup. The Inari are a very combo-based army. So it's like if any step was mistooken or, or any point failure point was hit, the combo would kind of fall apart and you could really open up an advantage for yourself. On the flip side, if your plans fall apart, the lights out. So I remember in that game I went first, which is what I really wanted, and I was executing my plan and all that, and then I failed quick with a command point reroll, which was like the worst way to fail my plan. It was like, oh my god, how, what? this is not like this. And then... <laughs> Response, um, Tony basically was not able, like in his counter strike, he wasn't able to execute his plan. He had like a failure point hit as well. So I failed my plan, then he failed to capitalize on me failing my plan, then I could take it back from there. Right. So do you feel like when you're in that moment, because most of us in the world will never be in that moment of being in a final at the LVO, they're in big Steve. <laughs> sure. Thanks, man. So, so there is there is a noticeable increase on pressure on you. You you feel it when you're at the table. You feel that extra heat. I think I find myself. Um, and I can only speak for myself on this one, but I think a lot of players probably do similar. Is I zone out. I, I like enter this universe where I'm playing 40k with my opponent and there's literally been 50, 60 people standing 10 feet away from me watching every move I make and I don't even notice. Like I'm in some alternate reality where it's just me and the game pretty much and my opponent. Okay. Who are we picking to win it? What are you, who are you expecting to see at the top table? Uh, Me, me, myself and I, I'm playing this. (laughs) Now, Uh, now, I've asked this question too. I did have to say, not including you. Okay. Who are you expecting to play against at the top table? 
No, no, I was being a little facetious. I, I actually don't expect to make the finals. I think compared to some of the other players that have been more sharper throughout the season, uh, a lot of players are putting a lot more time into competing than I am right now. But uh, I'm looking to do the best I can. I think Jack and John, of course, my two boys from Art of War, they, they have been putting in the work this season. They rarely lose when they go out to tournaments, and I expect uh, them to do really well at this one. It's out of a thousand people, there's so many talented players out there, especially when you consider the players coming in from abroad, like Matt Morisoli over from Australia, Finn from New Zealand, and then players all the way from the UK. It, it's it's anyone's tournament to win, you know. But if I have to pick somebody, I'm picking Jack and John. Well, that prediction worked out pretty well. At least fifty percent of it did. In 2019, the LVO was won by another one of the nicest men in the game. They call him the robot, Brandon Grant. I really would love you to, because I know that you've got this mind that remembers details of games and, and the way things have played out. I'd love to know as much as you can remember prior to making the final in 2019, uh, as much as you can remember about how you got there, some highlights and big points in games and what got you to that final through the LVO. Okay. And uh, how long do you want? <laughs> well, not long. <laughs> Just give us the highlights. Okay. Then the highlights were that in 2017, I got to the LVO finals for the first time and uh, ended up losing in the finals game to the champion, Brett Perkins, in a fantastic game that came down to a four-plus die roll, essentially. So um, that was a lot of fun, very memorable game. So coming back in 2019, I felt far more prepared because I'd been in the finals before, and it helped when I was playing these giants of 40K like Sean Naden and uh, my best friend, Michael Snyder, and then Alex Harrison in the final uh, helped me to keep calm, stay focused on the game, and just do my very best, and it paid off. We've spoken about this before, was, the, um, the fact that you made it to a final, and and that kind of, that old sporting saying, if you've got to play, you've got to lose a final to win a final. That kind of helped, right? That idea that you'd been there before and you knew what you were getting into and what you had to do to maybe go that next step. That's exactly it. Michael and I talked after our game and he ended up getting very excited because he seized the initiative on me back when that was a mechanic. So he went first, even though I'd planned to go first. And we both knew whoever went first had an advantage. And he realized he'd made a mistake in his first movement phase after he'd finished his movement phase and was already doing shooting, and it was too late to go back and fix it, where he'd moved his uh, conscript blob too close to me, and it ended up costing him his entire conscript blob. And um, I think ended up helping give me the game. So he absolutely had the skills and the the list and knew how to run it, but getting overexcited because you're in the finals playing your best friend, it's... um, Sometimes it leads to a game-ending mistake. When you think about the LVO 2019, the whole tournament, not just the final, the whole kind of event and you'll run up to the final, how are you feeling about it? Like the other games you played and the other opponents you played, how did that all go for you? Well, I had a lot of fun, actually. Um, Considering I was so familiar with guard because I've been playing guard for so long up to that point, the fact that so many of my opponents were running guard Castellan was a huge advantage for me because oftentimes I knew exactly what they were going to do and even had better ideas of what they should have done than they did. So it definitely paved the way to get to the final. 
Um, actually, one of my hardest matches was into TJ Lanigan and his Chaos Demons list at the time, because um, Plague Bearers were actually entirely reasonable at the time into countering Guardsmen and definitely didn't care about Knight Castellans. So our game went back and forth for right. a while. Uh, and he's a good player and a, and a good opponent. So, uh, you know, you make the final, you get to 2019, you're in there in the final. Were there a lot of people taking interest and taking note and kind of uh, gathering around the table? And 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 does that apply a little bit more pressure when all those people start taking notice of what's going on? Well, I'd never seen anything like it before. There was a crowd gathered around the tables. And I only noticed the crowd, I think, after the last game was done when I looked up and there was, it felt like hundreds of people, but I'm sure it was like 50 people at most. But yeah, everyone was cheering and it was spectacular. It was definitely some pressure. But what helps me in those situations is I think after about the first five minutes of starting the 40K game, there is only the 40K game for me. And it comes from a lot of practice and focus to be able to do that because absolutely whether people are cheering for or against you, it can be very distracting when you're trying to focus on the game on the table. If you're listening to them. I don't know how much you're keeping up with uh, players from overseas and, and players from around the state who are going to be at the LVO this year. Um, but uh, are there any names you're expecting to see at the top? Are there any people you're expecting to see at the final table? This year, I'm not sure. I always root for Art of War. They're probably some of the strongest players in the U.S. And now that I've played with them on the WTC, I get to know them a bit better. So I know who I'm dealing with. But um, other than them, I wouldn't know personally anyone else who is up and coming going to be in the LVO finals. Not to say that they're not deserving to be there or skilled enough to be there but they wouldn't be on my okay. radar. The, the John Lennon and Jack Harpster are names that keep coming up and keep coming back as, as players that people are just expecting to be, whether or not they're in the finals, in the top eight. And you know them pretty well, as you've just said. So uh, these are two guys who are really skilled and play the game in a, in a great way, right? Oh, for sure. And both of them, having played them now, they're terrifying <laughs> on the tabletop. <laughs> If you're going to play them, you need to remain calm and remain focused, but also realize that perfect gentlemen, though they may be, they're not going to hold back. Yeah. The L- at least you, on the table. Because you've been there a few times, you know, when you're playing at the LVO, because there are so many people in the room, and there's that extra little bit of pressure because it's the big final tournament of the year. And so if you're in the running with the ITC, it really is, and, you're, and this is where you're an expert, uh, it really is a matter of being able to just detach yourself a little bit from the emotion of the game and just keep that calm, cool head. Is that a fair comment? That's my approach to right. it anyway. Um, if you're focused on how many battle points you need to get into the final while playing your game, that's a bit too much of a distraction. If you're, I'm close and I need to play aggressively or I won't get in, that's fine. You're di- dictating your play style at the table, and you're remaining focused on that play style. Yeah. But if, if your if your attention is elsewhere, I don't feel like you can play as strong as you could have if you just maintained your focus on the game state and how to play as well as possible every single game. Yeah, great stuff. And especially when something like ITC, ITC championships on the line because of the number of ITC points available from the LVO, 
it's a great way to to make a mistake that is unforced is to to get so excited because that's a prospect that your focus is no longer on the game. And again, I love that we open with that with Michael Snyder and I's game because I felt it was such an important um, event or model for how our attention can dictate making a mistake and losing as a result. I feel like every 40K player in the world knows that feeling of getting excited either about an opportunity you can see or the next phase or the thing you really want to do because it's your plan is to do it and you forget something important or you make a mistake in movement or you forget a straight that you wanted to play. These things always come into effect and particularly when the pressure is on. So that ability to step back and keep calm and keep a cool head is is really important, but not something everybody is quite as capable of achieving. That was Brandon Grant in 2019. So here is where our timeline gets messed up just a little bit. Richard Siegler. He went and won it twice. The only player to achieve that feat. The 2020 and 2022 champion. Can you tell me which of the wins matters more, means more? Do you have one that ranks higher? Because they they were really different situations for you. Yeah. Uh, the the second time matters a lot more to me. The first time, um, the game was fundamentally broken with Iron Hands dominating the meta. And John and I basically came up with the best version of the Iron Hands build and was able to win a bunch of mirror matches and end up taking it. But I didn't feel super accomplished. Obviously, I was playing against a bunch of other broken Marine builds. But with winning with Admech after they've been nerfed multiple times and nobody expected Admech to do well, that that showed player skill. So that's that's the one I, I most treasure. When you're going into an event like the LVO, realistic goal setting, do you shoot for top eight? Like, do, does anybody really go in and say, my my goal is to win? If, obviously, your goal is to win. But realistic goal setting, is top eight really about as good as you can, you can say you want to do? And then from there, it's just, look, let's see who we're facing and what what's going on yeah definitely i mean top eight is already an amazing achievement because these tournaments have become enormous they're like 800 person tournaments to get the matchup um, kind of the matchups that you want over the course of the event and then actually get in usually you have to play a shadow round um so that's a, a seventh round you're playing up until like midnight and then you have another game at like 8 a.m uh so it's not great on your sleep schedule and there's a lot of pressure uh, for a lot of people. So when I went for the second time, there was no pressure on me. It was like, I just have to do the best that I can. I'm going to get a probably decent score regardless, and I'm in contention to win the ITC with only six events. That's awesome by itself. Do you think in the current meta, and keeping in mind that Arcs of Omen is not being used for the LVO, so given the balance of the game at the LVO and the balance of the armies, do you think there is play in taking something like an army that other people are not going to be used to, or is it just it's a pretty open field for all the all the top kind of armies? Uh, I mean, there's definitely value in taking an army that people don't have a ton of reps into. Everybody's going to be prepared for the couple Tyranid builds that are dominant or the couple Harlequin builds that are dominant. But not a lot of people are going to be prepared for some off-the-wall, you know, janky type of mid-tier army that you do, usually don't face, maybe like an Eric Lathuris GSC style list. So there's a, the thing is you play against a certain army, you know, once, easy to make mistakes. Um, second time, 
less so. And then third and so on. Most people don't have, you know, three plus reps against particular army lists, especially if they're kind of the more niche factions. So that first time anything can happen. There's very obvious mistakes that you can make and then you realize, all right, well, I'm never doing anything like that again. Or maybe you just play it completely wrong. You play it too aggressively, play it too conservatively, and you just lose on points. So that type of stuff is what you learn with reps. And by and large, there's a lot of people in the game who are going to be competing for LVO and don't have three-plus reps against certain lists. So there is value into it, but at the same time, you probably, to win... If your goal is to win the LVO, you need to play the most consistent army that's going to give you the best chance against the most um, competitors. What about, and by the time people see this, all the list building is done, people are at the LVO and they're ready to kind of roll some dice. But what about the idea of the current strongest army versus an army that you know really well when you're going into any tournament? I mean, I've... I've won tons of games with underpowered armies or just like meme armies uh, against stronger ones. So it's completely possible. It's it's very difficult and you have to play perfectly. But I I think there is there's something there. Um, player skill really does matter, especially at the top tables. And it's just one shot. It's not double elimination, nothing like that. So all you get is that one chance um, to beat the army. So if I just pull out a combo you haven't seen with uh, you know the Adeptus Mechanicus, all of a sudden, you're like, well, next time I play against this, I won't make this, but uh, I guess I lost. <laughs> no, I'm kind of thinking for someone like me or or, or even or your top tier, mid tier, whatever it is, if you're, if you're going into an event, how do you see the, the balance of when you're making that decision about your army, the balance of that, that I want to take something really strong right now versus an army that you're really familiar with, you know all the rules, you know, it might still be a pretty good army, but you, I'm not saying take a bottom tier, but... But when you're making that decision, uh, how do you see the balance of those two factors? The army that's strong right now versus the army that a player might know super well. Yeah, I think if you clone somebody and they took their favorite army they're super well practiced with and they took the army that was just the most popular and the quote-unquote strongest at the time, they would almost certainly do better with the one they're practiced with. Right. Even though it's, it's a less powerful book. Yeah, you know the stratums, stratagems, you know the janky rules, you know the bits and pieces, the movement, and you know you know, how many dice to roll to get rid of a unit or all the little things, right? All the little tricks. Are you going to be keeping an eye on the LVO? Are you going to be around Vegas? I know you're not playing, but are you going to be around and watching or just keep an eye from a distance? I'll probably be watching the stream, honestly. I, I just enjoy watching some of the top games. Um, so hopefully uh, hopefully there's some good matchups on yeah, there. Nice. Some good commentary, hopefully. <laughs> oh, there will be some great commentary. We love the commentators. Actually, thanks, Richard Siegler. That's a great lead-in to our next chat. In 2020, COVID got in the way, and there was no LVO. So a group of people came up with another plan so that 40K fans would have something fun to focus on. They called it the LV No Pin. <laughs> Get it? And the champ, when it was all done, was Tank Roberts from the UK. We've got to say a big thank you to the legend Tank Roberts for joining us. Uh, the winner of the LV No Pin. Tank, thanks for being here, man. I appreciate it. How are you doing, first of all? Uh, yeah, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, I'm doing good, thanks. It's uh... It's been a while since the no pronounce it, was it three years? It feels like three. It could be, it's either six months or 10 years. I'm not sure. COVID's messed up my <laughs> sense of how time works so badly that I just, 
I don't know. It seems like the other day in some ways. It was an amazing uh, thing, though, to be a part of, right? The the Nopen, just the way uh, Val and a whole bunch of others from the community and, and the Falcon and Adam and a whole lot of others, just everybody came together and all these people like yourself and Hellstorm Mikey and the Titans guys and all from all around the world came together to make this thing happen. How did you get involved in it? Yeah, it was incredible. And um, I'd just like to lead off by by sort of like once again thanking the likes of Val and the Falcon and everyone involved because it, it was a really special and unique thing and it, it's certainly one of like the, the highlights of my sort of uh, hobby career if you like. Um, so the, the way I got involved, um, I'm friends with uh, Mikey Herbert who runs Hellstorm Wargaming and um, obviously he's the main man there so he was going to be uh, putting a list in and taking part himself but um he sort of found out he needed a, a second person and uh given that i was one of the the people who'd been involved with the channel and uh, and was into my competitive gaming uh, look i was lucky enough to get an invite to uh to take part and and yeah the rest is history i guess maybe we need to take a step back and just refresh people's memories for how this worked because the idea was you'd come up with a list and you'd play and then if you won you'd hand the list over to someone else and then they would play a game with that same list and then they, then if it kept on winning your list would make the final is that is there anything else we need to add to that is there any other detail that we need to put in so people understand no i don't think so uh as you said it was a very clever concept um and i, I always like it was my list that won to, to clarify not exactly me personally because it actually went through uh like three pairs of hands on its way to to winning the final um and the, the other hands were were sort of safer hands than mine um but yeah it was basically um uh, i played the the first couple of games with it and then um it went on to manny chima and then on to uh john lennon in the final so it's a, it's a lot of fun <laughs> They're not bad names, eh? They're not bad guys to have in charge of the list that you've designed. Yeah, safe pairs of hands for sure. And the uh, the, the sort of the chat between the players was a really uh, interesting element of it too. Because uh, when I was going into my second game, which was against um, Mikey piloting Siegler's Necron list, um, right. Manny Manny team actually rung me the night before that game. Um, and he was saying, uh, I'd love to use your list in the semi-final. I think you can beat the Necrons on this mission. So you need to play it like this, this and that. And I know Mikey sort of had some uh, chat with Siegler as well. So, uh, And then when my list progressed to the final, uh, I was getting messages from John then saying, oh, how do you play this? Is there anything I need to be aware of? And uh, that, that right. side of it was really fun and interesting. That actually is amazing. And it's a great behind the scenes that I don't think people will necessarily be aware of, even if they had followed it at the time. These, these kind of uh, conversations that are going on about how you'd play the list or how you should play the list with guys like Chima and John Lennon. I mean, that as a guy like you, that has to be invaluable, really getting that, that level of input and help and then and also getting to know those guys. Oh, absolutely. I mean, um, I've I sort of I've been to a lot of tournaments. I go to a lot of tournaments. I'm usually a sort of uh, sort of upper middle table kind of guy. Um, normally, like a sort of four and one, three and two kind of player. So, 
to, to be sort of mixing in those kind of circles was, was pretty special. And it, there was also, a, there was an interesting dynamic to the list design in that I think some of the, the, in hindsight, I think some of the top tier players, I think they submitted lists that they could beat the world with, but they perhaps didn't consider that like lesser players might have to pilot it on the way and they can't really get the best out of it. And I know Seaglow right. is a bit upset with some of the sort of well-intentioned misplays that Mikey made with the Necrons. And it, I suspect it would have been a different story if I'd have had to play Seaglow pilot in the Necrons, but it's the na- <laughs> well, nature of the game wants it. I suspect it's a different story for anyone who has to come up against Seaglow with almost any list. Mm-hmm. So that's not, you know... And you've maintained those relationships, right? You've really kind of maintained uh, conversations with a whole lot of those people that you met through doing that. Yeah, I mean, um, I, I sort of got to know some of them better through that, uh, particularly John, who I, I'd actually never spoke to before that. Um, I had yeah. actually, I had actually, I did know Manny quite well already because um, we'd like shared a room at uh, one of the real LVOs previously. Um, uh, obviously good friends with Mikey and I, I had actually been yeah. to uh, a couple of the previous um, real LVOs if you like so um, I, I had sort of had chance to, to meet a lot of the guys and um, uh, luckily sort of I, I felt quite comfortable in sort of pestering them with questions and, and what have you. Yeah great. And are you keeping an eye on things still with competitive 40k? You're still playing and still involved and still into tournaments? Yeah, I mean, to be honest with you, I soon after the Nopen, um, when the the 40k meta went through a bit of a rough time, um, when we had like the first nasty Drukari meta and and then when Tyranids were really bad, um, I actually went into the wilderness for a little bit and sort of dabbled in a bit of uh, Age of Sigmar and Marvel Crisis Protocol, but um, I've been sort of back with a vengeance in the, in the last six months or so, really enjoying it again. Um, painting, up an, painting up an orc army at the moment, and I'm, uh, uh, I've got a couple of events lined up, um, including like the Warhammer Fest GT, which is uh, in, in my hometown, Manchester, in uh, April. Brilliant. Well, good luck with that, mate. Thank you so much for joining us. I really do appreciate it. It's nice to nice to chat to you. I feel like we've been in touch multiple times since then open, just saying hi, you know, online, but never actually spoken to each other. So it's nice yeah. to talk to you finally. Yeah, lovely to speak to you, Steve. And um, yeah, good luck with the rest of the interviews. And so now we're almost all up to date. Almost. One week ago, a new champion was crowned. Uh, Jack Harpster, 2023 champion of the Las Vegas Open. Holy hell, how does that sound, having that on your CV? That's got to be pretty good. Uh, yeah, it's, you know, it's a, it's an experience for sure. Um, I don't know. I still kind of can't believe it. Right. Because I've been, that's just been a thing that has been, you know, not, I didn't even really think I was going to get it this year because I kind of just said, screw it, I'm playing Blood Angels. Right. You know? And then somehow I just found myself in the finals and I was winning and I was like, oh, huh. So the funny thing with the playing Blood Angels and people who have followed you over the last 12 months or whatever will know that this is a thing. You've won tournaments traditionally 
with armies you've had no practice with and no experience with, you just pick up an army and you go, well, I'll take this, and then you win the event. That's how you've won previously. So going into an event with Blood Angels, an army you know pretty well, how are you feeling on the way in? Well, it was a weird experience because I went into a testing weekend a couple weeks, right before list submission was due. Right. Went into a testing weekend, decided on Blood Angels, wrote the list pretty fast, decided, hey, I'm going to tech against uh, Thousand Sons because they're really good. I ended up teching really hard into Thousand Sons and it paid off in the shadow round. But um, I just kind of wrote the list and then I didn't really get practice with it up to the event because I know Blood Angels really, really well. I played like maybe one game with it after testing weekend, which fair enough. I played like four or five in testing weekend. Fair. Right. But it, it's basically, you can't control everything, especially at LVO, because LVO is very random. Uh, not only is it who you pair up against, which always seems to be like extra random at LVO, I don't know why, but it's also not just what mission, but it's also what terrain format, like what terrain, what table you're playing on. Yeah. Um, which if you've been listening to podcasts recently, you'll know that people have some strong opinions on. Um <laughs> Yeah. yeah, but it, it just adds a whole extra level of randomness, which makes it very difficult to plan for the event. Um, because if I if I had played Tau on the like I played Tau in the quarterfinals on a table where I couldn't lose, if I'd played them two rounds earlier, I probably would have lost because right. that the tables are that different. But but in that environment, you can just say I'm going to play an army I like, and I'm going to play an army I'm good with, and just roll the dice and see what happens. Um, I had heard that there was the new Chaos Gate table. Did not know about the new Sisters table. That was nice. Um, but I'd heard about the new Chaos Gate table. I'm like, all right, maybe I can play Blood Angels because I hear that the top end of the event is going to be Chaos Gate. Turns out that was not the case. <laughs> I just ended up avoiding Tau all the way through the event until the quarterfinals. Thankfully, yeah, some yeah. of my friends are not so lucky. Yeah, well, that's the whole thing with kind of any tournament, but especially this one with so many people there. Uh, I feel like any tournament you get to the top table, uh, there's a lot of, you know, you've got to play well enough to beat the people in front of you. But there's also an element of you've kind of got to skew through and avoid some of the really bad matchups, right? You get a bad matchup on the on a bad table, and it almost doesn't matter who you are. There's very little you can do about it if you're up against a quality player. And that happened to some other, you know, we, we just had the discussion before recording about Vic meeting Alex Fennell in the in the third round of the event. Holy crap. And Vic Vijay getting knocked out. So there's, there is an element of just you avoid people, you get through to the final, but you also have to make the most of the opportunities you've got, which you managed to do. Yeah, yeah, that, that I think is key, is that once... Once you roll the dice and once you go, you know, I'm just going to see what comes my way, you have to actually play good at that point. Right. Because, you know, I'm not the only one who had good pairings going through the first six rounds. After that, you play who you play. You know, that once you're in top eight, you play the top eight. That's how it works. Yeah. yeah. But I'm not the only one who had decent pairings, but you still got to play like at a, at a good level in order to make top eight, I think. Getting into that top eight, you know, by the time you get there, you've had very little sleep. Everybody's in the same boat, I know, but you've had very little sleep and you're kind of, you know, you're there and you're tired. I, it, From us normal mortals, even getting into like a game five or six of an event, your brain starts to fry a little bit and you start to kind of make mistakes. I was amazed at how few mistakes were getting made watching the streams of the games, how few like big mistakes were getting made by you guys is that just because you play so much or is it because you really honed in and focused on those games at the end to make sure you weren't stuffing it up how do you do that well me personally i 
get very little sleep at tournaments. Um, I was a little bit jet lagged, you know, I was three hours removed, two hours removed or whatever. Um, but I don't know what it is. I just get very little sleep. Like I, I know the, the Sunday morning I woke up at five o'clock, couldn't go back to sleep for like 45, 50 minutes. Um, I drink a lot of caffeine. It's not great for me, but you know, it is what it is. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I drink a lot of caffeine normally, <laughs> but uh, I also tend to find as an event goes on, I kind of dial in more. So I might be kind of sloppy rounds, you know, one, two or three, but as an event goes on, I feel like I get sharper and sharper and sharper, even as I get more and more tired. Cause I like get into like, I focus down right. and get into a groove and just kind of keep going one game at a time. I did make a pretty big mistake in my game against Sean Naden, but it did not end up biting me in the butt. <laughs> Could have didn't. I didn't. So I, I saw most of that game, but I don't know what the mistake was. What did you do? Uh, I completely wrapped his tank. So his, his uh, battle wagon right. with like, I, I don't know, a ludicrous number of mega knobs in it, like eight plus a character plus like a unit of Gretchen or something. Uh, I don't know. There, there was a lot of stuff in there is the point. Um, and I completely wrapped it six inches. So even if he emergency disembarks, he couldn't get out of the vehicle. Right. And then I didn't kill it because I didn't put my attacks, enough attacks in it to kill it. So everything got out the back because he had wrapped the back of the tank with his models. Yeah. And then I wrapped around the front and the sides. So he just moved the back stuff away, disembarked out of the tank and charged me. Now, luckily, I got away with that. But right. that was probably my biggest mistake of the event. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, wow. <laughs> I didn't see that. Yeah. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> just yeah. a bunch of power yeah. claw Meganov just... <laughs> I feel like that's one of those things that when you're doing it, you're thinking, this is going to be great. It's kind of a, you know, it's not a nice thing to do to someone, completely wrap the tank so they can't get out. It always... But uh, this is going to be great. It's going to go super well. I'll kill the tank. And then when that doesn't happen, there's got to be that moment of, ah, oh, crap, have I just lost the game? Uh-oh. Whoops. Yeah. yeah, I definitely went from, wow, his turn one didn't do enough to, wow, my turn one didn't do enough. Right. Uh, luckily, his turn two also didn't do enough. Yeah, and there we are. And that was, uh, that was about it because all of his secondary scoring was just gone. Uh, Post-LVO, we're going into Arcs of Omen. Uh, is this a massive mind shift for you? Like you've, You kind of had to stay with the LVO thing while everybody else was moving on, and now you're going to flip over to Arx of Omen. I assume you've already had plenty of kind of practice or some practice. Not really. No. Not really, no. Um, I mean, I have to for my job, obviously, right? Yeah, like, yeah. I have to put Arx of Omen's lists on the table on stream. And I put thought into it because we've done State of the Factions for a whole bunch of uh, different armies and articles yeah. and the whole the whole Nine Yards, Goonhammer, Art War, et cetera. Um, but outside of that, I've been dialed into LVO meta. Right. And so now I'm I have no idea what I'm what I'm excited to play or more specifically, I'm excited to play like five different things. Right. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so did you did you I'm, have to have a little break between, though? Did you have to give your brain kind of post LVO? Did you have to go? I can't think of Arcs of Omen stuff right now. I just need a couple of days of to defry. That's not actually how it works for me post tournament. The way it works for me post tournament is that right after the tournament, that's where I'm like, all right, what am I? What yeah. am I doing? Got to get back in. Got to get back in. You know, got to get my next fix. Yeah. Um, so no, I was writing lists on the on the on the flight home. Wow. Actually, do you know what? That's that, weirdly. I feel like that's the case for a lot of people. Like even uh, for someone like me, I go to a tournament. No matter how badly I do, how well I do, whatever happens at the event, it's in the car ride home with my buddies. I'm discussing changes to lists or changes to armies, or I'm going to pick this up or get rid of that or whatever. You, as much as you think. 
boy, at the end of this two days, three days, I'm going to have had enough 40K for a while. That's actually not what happens. You get to the end and you go, all right, what's next? And the, it kind of gets the juices flowing, really. It's amazing. Yeah, it's it's also fun because you're, you know, you're not going to see your buddies for a while. Because at this point, I know people from, I'm friends with people from all over the U.S., Right. So when I go to an event like LVO, it's like meeting 50 of my friends all at the same time. So, and you know what 40K nerds want to talk about. It's 40K. Yeah. So, you know, I'm talking with one person about this thing and another person about this list, another person about this concept. And here's how this works in this game. And so by the end of it, I'm just, you know, I'm ready to go, you know, ready to start, start making new ideas. But I really don't know what I'm going to, what I'm going to play, what I'm excited about. Right. So, because I'm excited about... Ravenwing, Custodes, um, oh god, there were like fifty others that I just can't name off the top of my head. I'm gesturing with a uh, <laughs> a piece of a of a palace. Let me put it that way. Um, all right, before we go, I know this was this is going to be a this is supposed to be a brief chat. So let's one more thing before we go. Uh, you mentioned this off air to me, or before we started recording, and I don't know if you've mentioned it in other places, but uh, can you tell the story of why you owe Alex Fennel a fruit basket? So, so Alex Fennell, uh, let's just set the stage real fast. Going into this event, I was number two ITC. Leaving this event, I was number one ITC. And, and a good part of that is down to Alex Fennell's performance in his game three of, uh, of LVO. And so we made a, I made a joke to Alex about how I would get him a fruit basket, depending on how his game went. And uh, he... He intends on collecting, and I'm not here to uh, I'm not here to deny the man a fruit basket he has earned. Yeah, I mean, it feels it, it, it's very funny, but it is also Vic had a lovely season. He is a lovely human being. I had the pleasure of meeting him at Las Vegas for the first time. Uh, you know, it, it is a very funny joke, but it also feels a little bad that you know. And celebrating his downfall. As, also, as an yes. outsider, I don't think you need to feel bad. Like Vic is a lovely guy. You're a nice guy. You both. It was a joke to start with. You said to Alex, "You beat Vic. I give you a fruit basket." It and I look. No one's suggesting that the fruit basket was Alex Fennell's motivation during that game or the it reason behind. Right. It's not like you said, right. "I'll like, give you a thousand dollars or whatever." There was no. It's a fruit basket, and it's going to have pineapple. Pineapple fruit baskets are the best. <laughs> Gonna have pineapple in there. I know he was thinking about it. Turns four, turns five. I know right. it's in his head. Like yeah. I'm getting a fruit basket. If I can do this, I get the pineapple. Yeah, you're right. So I have to find his address and and uh, send him a very nice, very nice fruit basket. I'm I'm confident that he's going to be listening to this episode. So, uh, Alex, your fruit basket is on the way. <laughs> you're you're getting it. You know, signed, sealed, <laughs> delivered. Uh, you know, your check's in the mail, your fruit basket's in the mail. And Vic, if you're listening, uh, next time you go to a big event, you've got to come with better fruit. And that's, and, that's right. And, that's right. I yeah. just outfruited you. Yeah. You know, <laughs> your fruit basket had like, had like melons of some description, had like, <laughs> like honeydew and the, the other filler fruits, grapes. <laughs> right. But mine's got strawberries, pineapples. It's, it's the best. You've given me a, a headline now for this whole thing is uh, VJ outfruited by Jack Alfstead.
glad, glad to help, man. <laughs> hey, thanks, man. We'll wrap it up there. Really appreciate your time. And uh, again, congratulations. Great win. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Pleasure to talk to you. And that seems like a great place to end it, doesn't it? What a great lineup. What a great champion for 2023. Thank you so much for joining me for this. It's been a real honor to meet and chat with all of the LVO champions. And it's just so great that you've stuck with me through this episode and any of the others that you've listened to. If you haven't caught any of the other episodes of Champions of 40K or of 40K Game Changers, please go and have a listen. You can find them all at stevejoel40k.com. I'd love you to join me there. Check me out on Facebook. Join me on Instagram. See all the photos. Any of those ways of getting in touch. Also, if you do want to comment or send me a question, send me a suggestion for someone to interview, I'd love that as well. Thanks again. Until next time, I'm Steve Joel.